get my exercise for the week. Don't get much exercise now. I'm not laying bricks. Arms are getting a little weak. I was hoping you might move that, Kurt. No worries. Hey. Yeah. Well, we might just uh, just a little banter between Kurt and I before we get underway. I'll just pray and then uh, get into it. Well, Father, we want to just say thank you that uh, we can come together as, uh, as your people and your family. Lord, just in a response for all that you have done for us. The sacrifice that you have made, the lengths that you have gone through to know us. Now we just respond to that in in praise and we sing you songs and we get together. And Lord, just uh, thanks for just being able to do life with you and the reality of having you in our lives. Lord, now pray that um, as I speak that um, you would be able to reveal more of yourself. Uh, yeah. Amen. Well, the other day I took a look at myself in the mirror. Not something that I find too pleasurable, but did it anyway, and I noticed that I was starting to look like one of the Beatles, so it's time for a haircut. So I, um, I went down to, to Brendan and said, mate, I need a haircut, and he said, you're not wrong. So I, um, I sat down in the chair, just plonked myself down in there, and uh, I said to him, you know, knock yourself out, see what you can do. And he said, no worries at all, I had Jonathan in here last week, and if I can work with him, I can do anything with you. <laughs> I said ripper, and as you can see, yeah, it's not a bad job. But when you go to the hair, when I went, to, when you go to the hairdressers, one thing I notice about the hairdressers, apart from the, the idle chatter that they try and engage you in, is that the place has just got a never-ending supply of those weekly magazines. You know the ones the boys don't, but the chicks do. You know, um, a new idea or Women's Weekly or. Um, who, Vogue, nah, uh, not my kind of hairdressers, a little bit lower end of town. <laughs> but just the you know, weekly magazines. But inside these pieces of journalistic brilliance is just contained story after story after story of, of lies and deceit and, and just, you know, stories about this person's too fat, that person's too thin. And always in these, in these magazines, across the, 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 the front page to sell a magazine, is always the story of the self-destruction of some famous person whose life is just completely imploded. To me, perhaps one of the most tragic figures that you know, we read about in these magazines is Britney Spears. And I think the tragedy is not just in her actions. You know, 
her behaviour and her, her outrageous things that she does. But I, what I think is most tragic about Britney Spears is that she is a person who is completely devoid of a genuine friend. There is no one in her life that really cares about her. I sit down, I, I just imagine, well, I'm getting my hair cut because it's what you do. What, 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 what were her aspirations as a young kid? As a girl, maybe eight, like my daughter is. She's around the land room with a hairbrush singing Alabaster Box and uh, Rebecca St. James, just dreaming of being a pop star and hoping one day that people would acknowledge her and love her for, and just, you know, respond to her. But unfortunately, when, when, when she's got to her dream and her goal, all she's found is not a fulfilment of any need. What she's found is that to a, to a person around her, whether it is her family, whether it's her managers, whether it's concert organisers or whoever it is, they really do not care about Britney Spears, the person. The only thing that they're really interested in making sure goes along is Britney Spears, the product, so that they can get something out of the relationship that they've formed with her. The relationship that they've formed with her is just completely built around what they can receive. And I think she's coming to know this. How incredibly lonely it must be to be Britney Spears. She has everything that money can buy. There's nothing that she can't obtain except the one thing she really, really needs. And that is to be, to be really loved and to be known and to be involved in a, in a genuine friendship. Yeah, she's not alone. Britney Spears is not the only person on the planet that goes through this. She's just famous, so her story is known to us. So when you go to get your hair cut, you'll... You'll read about her. But how many people go through life? How many people do we walk past on our way to school or to uni or as we go to work or as we travel to church whose lives are just they're empty? They've got nothing. Even maybe sitting amongst us here, you know, Look around. Do you really know the people around you? You see, in everybody's heart is a desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. God has placed that desire in our hearts, to know genuine friendship. And that's why we seek it. That's why everybody craves it. However, with some people, the search ends up in a counterfeit. In a place that God never designed us to experience. And I believe that Jesus wants us to have genuine friendships. And I think that the church is a provision for this. 
that the Christian church should be a place that is the expression of God's love in a world that is just obsessed with self and devoid of any genuine friendships. But I wonder what does this place look like? How can we, what titles or things can we characterize what this would look like? What our church community or, or place should look like? And I, the first thing that I came up with in thinking about this is that this should be a place of unconditional love within the people here. In John 13, 34, there's a command from Jesus. It says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, as we make our way through the Gospels, as we read through the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, what strikes me as we go through the pages about Jesus is his immense capacity to unconditionally love anybody. He can love the unlovable. It's nothing for him to show his concern to others. You know, um, nicknames are given to us when people observe characteristics about our life. You know, they they see what sort of a person we are and and they'll give us a nickname just kind of to play on it a bit. One of the nicknames, if you like, I'm calling it a nickname, that the Pharisees or the religious leaders gave Jesus was this. He was a friend of sinners. This was a man who would befriend anybody, not just those who who you need to befriend to get somewhere in life. He loved the unlovable, those that society would normally marginalise. You know, he embraced lepers. He spoke and became friends with prostitutes, tax collectors. He went out of his way on a trip back up home one day to spend time with an adulterous Samaritan woman. He went and spent time with a demon possessed. Jesus even went and healed somebody's mother-in-law. Is there no end to where this man will stop? (laughs) He just goes places. But you would think that that these people are just people that, that come into acquaintance with Jesus as he goes about his ministry, he just, it's his job to show love to people and that's what he does and he does it well. Surely when he's selecting some friends, when he's intentionally pursuing those who he's going to share his life with, he's going to show a little bit more discretion about how he's going to go about that. He will choose some people who are a little bit more, I don't know, socially acceptable. Look at the people he gathers around him. We call him his dis- you know, his disciples. Nothing flash about him. Just a, I don't know, a bunch of average, just a people, ragtag collection of people who were just socially acceptable. Uh, he had a tax collector. He's a fisherman, a zealot. It's just like a 
political terrorist. These are the people that he chooses to be his friends. He's unconditional about who he will spend his time with. But perhaps what is most stunning to me, what I found most amazing about this, was that Jesus, when he sought these disciples, when he formed these relationships with them, knew every single thing about them. There was nothing that was undisclosed about these people that Jesus didn't know. He knew perfectly well that Thomas would doubt who he was. He knew perfectly well that Peter, who would talk it up so much about never, ever leaving him, he would be with him, even if it cost his life, would deny him. He knew that James and John were egotistical types and would seek places of preeminence. And he knew that they would all fight amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest. And despite his constant self-revelation of who he was, he also knew that just the occasional people that he bumped into would place more faith in him than they would. He also knew that Judas would betray him with a kiss. And he knew that every single one of them, in his greatest hour of need, would desert him. And yet knowing all of this, Jesus intentionally becomes friends with this mob. People like you and I, just as self-absorbed as you and I. But he knows that they hold the potential to, to genuinely become expressions of God's love if they could just first experience it themselves. How selective are we in choosing our friends, in getting to know people? You know, it's, it's, it's natural to gravitate to people who share similar interests. Perhaps um, my best friend that, that, that I have, someone who I would say I trust implicitly, Actually heard, I actually heard bad things about him, nasty stories about this person before I met him. He was, you know, he'd been. Um, no, I won't tell you. But anyway, <laughs> I met him at Bible study one night, and uh, no, here's this bloke. But he said, "I said, oh, where are you from?" And he said, "I'm from Hilston." I said, "Hilston? There are pigs in Hilston." <laughs> Yep, instantly we had a mutual attraction, if you like, that we could base a friendship on. So, you know, it's not, it's not unnatural to be drawn together with people with similar things. But what is the problem? Is when we actively avoid coming into relationships, when we actively avoid certain people, because of the concepts we have of them, or because we see that they are going to be hard work, or they, they're just going to be hard, I don't know what it is. They're not socially appropriate. Whatever the reasons are, we think, well, I'm just going to pretend I'm not seeing them and I'll go. This just shows that we are conditional in how we love. And the church that follows Jesus 
is a church that has to be unconditional, that loves people warts and all, that seeks to build relationships, not just so that they can see and get what they want out of them, but to allow people to be themselves and give something that they might not have an opportunity to otherwise do. The church, needs to, the church, the body of Christ, needs to be unconditional. It needs to be em, empathising with people, compassionate and honest. A place where genuine friendships can flourish. A place where there is a shared sense of caring and concern and desire to see the growth and development of each other. Where, where people can expose themselves to each other. Perhaps not to the whole mass, but to have people here where you can share your deepest fears and secrets, the rawness of human need. You might be and be able to say, life for me is tough and share that with them. Or be able to say, do you know how good life is for me? And not to, to sort of know you're going to receive anything good, good for you. But to be able to share Every intimate experience. Something we need. The writer of, of Hebrews says this. He says, We are to consider how we are to go about spurring each other on to good deeds, onto love and to good deeds. We are to be about the business of intentionally building our friendships so that they can be nurtured, so that they can. Flourish. And it's not just, you know, the sense of warm, fuzzy feeling towards each other. The writer has in mind here the Proverbs 27 17, where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so fellowship increases love. It's, it's an interaction that goes a little deeper than just saying, Joel, how was work today, mate? Yeah, good. What you watch on TV last night? Right, I see ya. It's a, it's a, it's an interaction that suggests we want to know about each other. It's it, it has accountability in built into it, and through and through mutual fellowship, and through challenging conversations and questions about how we're going in life. And being able to receive personal feedback on these things, we are built up. And the result of this is that it results in love. Real love. A product of authenticity. Not just some kind of shallow, wishy-washy thing. Max Licato has a book. He's amazing, Max. No one can tell a story like Max Licato. But he has a book, especially the Gospels. And that's another story. But he has a book called Just Like Jesus. And in it he says this. This is his thesis for his book. Jesus loves you just the way you are. But he refuses to leave you like that. You know, Jesus loves you unconditionally. There's nothing about you that can stop Jesus from loving you. But he wants to change you into all that you can be in a relationship with him. And that is the kind of unconditional 
environment that we are to establish here or that we are to have here. We are to love each other just as we are. But we are to seek to change and to build each other up and to encourage each other on to uh, mature relationships in Christ. The second characteristic, if you like, that I think should be found in, in our churches where, we, where we're pursuing genuine friendships is sacrificial love. You know, genuine friendships are based on, on sacrificial love. The, French, the friendships that are not just trying to receive, but ones that are, that are seeking to give without restraint and without thought towards cost. In 1 John 3.16, it says this. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now, this week we did, as Phil mentioned, we've paused on Friday to remember those who have given their lives in conflicts across... uh, the globe. And we don't pause because we want to glorify war or think about how wonderful that is. We pause because we are compelled to respond to the enormity of human sacrifice that happened in the engagement in war, in the pursuit of freedom, in the pursuit of defending our country or your country the massive cost of human life, the sacrifice that these people gave because they love the concept of freedom. They love their countries and the people behind their families and they left them and they went somewhere else and many of them didn't return. And we, we stopped because it has immense value and we want to honour that. To sacrifice oneself in the pursuit of anything is to give it a high Priority and genuine friendships are no different. John says that we are to consider everything that Jesus gave. We are to consider all that He gave up that we might know Him. And I really don't have to go back over it now and reiterate it. When we cast our mind back to what Phil said, we think of the sacrificial cost that Jesus made in order that we might have a relationship with him. Suffice to say, you know, we sang before we had communion. We sang that song where it's above all, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were there before the world began. We are singing about the grandeur of Jesus and saying this is who you are. A Jesus who sits, who sits in heaven and who is used to and accustomed to receiving praise and worship and honour that is you know, fit for God say, says I will lay that aside 
and go down to earth and I will give myself to these people and reveal my love for them in a real, visual, tangible way. And not only that, I will die, I will die and pay the ultimate price. And as Phil explained to us earlier, that we can come back into relationship with God and no fellowship with God. We are compelled to respond to this act of sacrificial love. Um, John gives practical examples on how this might look if you see a brother in need. You know, if we withhold stuff, when we see people in need, when we see, you know, the people around us who we say are our our family, our friends, and we could not care less about their needs. We're more interested in making sure that our little world's okay. And boy, I tell you what, um, you know, Jonathan looks a little cold there. Uh, he hasn't got any shirts. Perhaps I should give him one. I know I'll be cold. What John is saying as he wanders along here and says, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God being that person. So if you're saying that you recognise that Jesus died for you and that he gave everything for you just so that you could be back in relationship with God and you love that, you think that's great and you've experienced God's love and you say, yep, that's me. But then on the other hand over here, you don't care about the people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, John is tantamount saying that you are a liar. The love of God is not in you because the love of God requires sacrificial giving, a sacrifice towards things. And our friendships are no different. They require sacrifice. Sacrifice is essential to genuine friendships and love. God has held nothing back in his commitment to humanity and his will that we all be restored back into fellowship with him. And perhaps, you know, that passage that Phil read out tonight um, sums it up so succinctly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has demonstrated the length he will go to to be in relationship with him. And, and we have seen that through eyes of faith. We are the beneficiaries of God's love. And he requires us, he commands us to sacrificially love each other just as he has loved us. And it's not just lip service. It's not just talking it up. It's actually doing it in actions and in truth. The third uh, characteristic or quality that I think we need to have, or perhaps it's more, it's actually more of a consequence, really, of the first two. If this is a place where genuine friendships are pursued, 
and they're pursued in unconditional love and they're pursued and grown in sacrificial giving, then the outcome of that is a, is a missionary kind of witness, ascending a, a love. The Gospel of John says, just in, thir- in John 13.35, just a, a verse on from where we started, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By, by this sacrificial, unconditional love, you will witness to the world that you are my disciples, if you love each other like this. Nothing astonishes a fractured an increasingly self-centred world more than an encounter with a community of people who have a radical and faithful and genuine love amongst themselves, amongst its members. Nothing impresses upon them more because they see it nowhere else. The mandate for the church is to become a community of love a circle of Christ's followers who invest into one another because Christ has invested into us. Who pursue genuineness with each other. And it's a genuineness that is not just based on mutual attractions, but it is modelled on the love and on the unconditional and sacrificial love that Christ displayed to us. The way we interact with each other, the way we sort of behave and treat each other, we indirectly bring either glory or shame to the name of God. John's saying that by the way we behave, people will know that we are his disciples. Jesus is saying that people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. John explains to us that the world has no visual ability to see God except through those who claim that he lives within them. You know, it's been said that Christians are the worst advertisement for Christianity. It's also been said that Christians are the greatest advertisement for Christianity. Our conduct is on display. I want you to imagine a church whose life witness of genuine friendship is based in Jesus and uh, the, the concepts that we've talked about. Think of a place where there is unconditional love of each other. And acceptance, and that is also um, accompanied by, you know, honesty and truth. And it is also accompanied by sacrificial giving to each other. And what that would look like to a world looking in, it would be like a neon sign that says, "Genuine, authentic." Reality, friendships are found here. Come and have a look. 
We can be the greatest advertisement for Christianity if we deeply and genuinely love each other in an unconditional and sacrificial way. Such a testimony opens the doors to the proclamation of the gospel, which is what we are all about. And that's what Phil's going to be talking about next week. How we go about proclaiming the gospel. But really, before we can do that, we have to earn credibility to send that message. This is I'm wrapping up, finish, and I wonder, as I finish, we think about that unconditionality. The unconditional nature of Jesus' love, which saw past barriers and conditions that we tend to build around things, which allowed him to love people unconditionally. He saw in people not really what they were, but what they could become in relationship with him. And he looks at you and I, and he knows everything about us, and I mean everything. And he loves us unconditionally. While we were still far from God, he died for us. The question is, how can we seek to love unconditionally? Sacrificial. Jesus held nothing back. It cost him everything. Just to know and love humanity. To the point of laying down his life. No cost too big for him. His outstretched arms on a cross saying, this is how much I love you. Now how will we respond to that? How far is too far for us before becoming a friend with someone is just simply an inconvenience? How we go about things here really does impact the veracity of our message. We do need to be people who genuinely seek to love each other unconditionally and sacrificially. Father, we, uh, we are just so grateful that you are a God who is not constrained by what we can bring to you, what we can give you, what, what we have to offer you. But you sought to know us and to love us and nothing held you back and you spared nothing and you sacrificed everything just to be in relationship with us. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to emulate that Lord, if we say we love you, surely this has to be the pursuit of our heart. We thank you for time together with you tonight. Being able to sing praises to you and to just give back to you a little bit of what you have done for us. Amen.